This week, the Biden administration boycotts the Winter Olympics. The DOJ sues Texas, and CNN's Don Lemon is tied to the Jesse Smollett case. My name's Noah Huey, and this is Under the Stars. Welcome to another week, everyone. The second to final week in season four um, for the whole year. Uh, we've been going on for quite a while. This season is officially the longest season I've ever done, crossing over the 30-episode threshold. So about half as many episodes as I should probably do if I were to legitimately do one episode every single week of the year. Um, so yeah, that's a, an accomplishment uh, regardless, and um, it's it's been a fun season so far. Um, so this will be the last episode that talks about news exclusively of that week. Next week, I'll be going over the entire year, breaking down each of the major political headlines that have crossed, um, sort of my vision throughout the year and kind of use it to come to a conclusion. What has this year done for politics? So on and so on. Uh, just kind of my, uh, quasi-historical analysis of the year. Before we begin this week, though, I'd like to remind you to follow my Instagram. That's at Huey Noah. That's at H-U-G-H-U-Y-N-O-A-H. That's at Huey Noah. And to subscribe to Under the Stars on YouTube for exclusive clips and the full video episode on uh, there. Uh, also, if you'd like to, you can support the show through merch and my books in the shop section of my website. It's also it's available in the link in my bio, but it's also available as Under the Stars with Noah Huey on Google. It'll be like the first thing that comes up. Um, that would be greatly appreciated. Uh, I also have a limited edition line of three-year anniversary merch. We're celebrating three years of Under the Stars this year. Uh, make sure to get yours today. To celebrate three years of Under the Stars, you can get that, but you can also use the promo code three years UTS. That's three Y E A R S U T S at checkout, and you'll get ten percent off any purchase you make, including the three-year anniversary merch. This promo code and the anniversary line are only going to be available until December thirty-first. So if you're interested in supporting the show that way, or if you just want the merch. That's available until then. Thanks so much for supporting the show. So our first piece of news, the Biden administration is planning on uh, doing a diplomatic boycott of Beijing's Olympics over uh, human rights atrocities. So U.S. government officials will boycott the 2022 Winter Olympics in Beijing because of China's human rights atrocities, quote unquote, the White House said on Monday, just weeks after talks aimed at easing tense relations between the two superpowers. The diplomatic boycott, which leaves athletes free to travel to Beijing to compete, has been encouraged by some members of Congress and rights advocacy groups for months. 
Beijing threatened to unspecified, quote-unquote, resolute countermeasures against any such move before Monday's announcement, which is certain to further strain relations already at their lowest point in decades. President Joe Biden's administration highlighted what Washington says is genocide against the minority Muslims in China's western region of Xinjiang. China denies all rights abuses. Quote, U.S. diplomatic or official representation would treat these games as business as usual in the face of the PRC's egregious human rights abuses and atrocities in Xinjiang. We simply can't do that, the White House Press Secretary Jin Psaki told a daily press briefing referring to the People's Republic of China. Quote, the athletes on Team USA have our full support, Saki added. We will be behind them 100% as we cheer them on from home. The move comes despite an effort to stabilize ties with a video meeting last month between Biden and Chinese leader uh, Xi Jinping. China's embassy in Washington called the boycott political manipulation that would have no impact on the games as no invitations had been extended to U.S. politicians, they say. Russian President Vladimir Putin is the only leader of a major country who has accepted an invitation. The Chinese mission to the United Nations said the move reflects the Cold War mentality of the United States. The U.S. wants to politicize sports, create divisions, and provoke confrontation, a statement from the mission said. This approach will find no support and is doomed to fail. It was an unclear if others would join the United States, though U.S. Secretary of State Anthony Blinken said, said allies were consulted on a shared approach. Um, so, first of all, what this means, this is actually a very big deal, I would say, um, because while nations have, for a long time now, like for about, excuse me while I mess with my microphone a little bit, uh, so for a while now, nations have been calling out China for many human rights abuses, uh, including that of... Um, that of the Uyghur Muslims in uh, the Xinjiang region, region um, which we talked about last year on the show. Now, China's mentality that they have always had in dealing with, at least in the 21st century, I'd say post-Cold War China, has always been on trying to keep people afraid of another cold or hot war. Um, because they know that they've got this appearance in the world that's this like big bully with a giant gun and everyone's sort of afraid of what you'll do if you tick them off but at the same time the world's also kind of getting a little frustrated with sitting here and watching china do whatever it feels like with no repercussions um so while china their their main like i suppose policy in terms of foreign policy goal has always been to strong arm other nations into submitting to what they want. Because as we've established previously on this show, China is what happens when a political party gets what it wants. So what China wants further from this point in their in their nation's history is total world supremacy. They want the world to be a reflection of their beliefs and their beliefs only. And I guess their strategy in doing that is strong arming people into um, submitting to giving them what they want. Uh, so these empty threats uh, about resolute countermeasures and, oh, well, we never invited you anyway, and, and other such things, such as uh, it's, it's, a it's a politicalization. I don't, China really only says this to convince China that it is correct because most of the world knows China is wrong. Like, like we have footage and video and witness testimony. We have all the evidence in the world that everything we're accusing China of is completely true. The only people China is trying to convince with these empty threats and, and mean-spirited comments is China. Because 
in order to be in a state of political delusion as you are to be the Chinese Communist Party is to constantly state things like this about other nations, even if no one agrees with you because they have legitimate evidence against you. So what you do in China's case is you erase that evidence from existence and then continue to say that it's just everyone else's fault. And we see this with political parties within America. I believe it's something that may be just the nature of political parties when they ascertain power. Because there's nothing worse than a political party that holds legitimate power. Democrats and Republicans have proven that, but more than that, China has proven that. Nazi Germany has proven that. When, when a political party has attained so much supremacy that they legitimately hold power over the government, that's when you've reached a point where they're becoming legitimately dangerous, not just to their own nation. They've already crimp, crippled their own nation in terms of political discourse, but now they're becoming a threat to the rest of the world. Well, that's, I feel like, been China's uh, sort of approach to this. Now, in terms of U.S. And, and, of course, our allies' responses, I would hope our allies would join us in this diplomatic boycott because China does need to be held accountable. And while the world has always sort of let China strong arm it into, into kind of just letting China do what it wants, I feel like there's an aura in the air, and maybe I'm wrong, I'm a, I'm, I mean, I'm an amateur. I have no idea what I'm talking about here. But I feel like there's an aura in the world in which the nations of the world are getting kind of sick and tired of China strong-arming us into just letting it do whatever it wants and leaving it at that. Um, I, I definitely would say our, our allies should join us in this diplomatic boycott. And I think this was a great decision. I'm glad the Biden administration has chosen to do this. Um... If there's one thing that we can all agree on as Americans, it's that China needs to be dealt with as a nation, uh, not because it can become better than us. I think this competition between nations is childish and, and stupid, but I think it's because it's a legitimate threat to the security and freedom of people around the world as it is to its own citizens. Um, so I think there was a great move by the Biden administration, and I think China's I think China's response is just another uh, exemplary use of their partisan delusion, just like it would be if any other nation was overtaken by a political party. And I think China has kind of been, is our modern example of what happens when a political party gets what it wants. I think the most recent one besides China would either be, excuse me, I'm like wiping dust off. The other, uh, good examples would be either Russia, maybe, or Nazi Germany or Italy under Mussolini or, um, England for a little while, England under Oliver Cromwell during the English Civil War, England under King George III. I mean, which that's not as much. Uh, they still had opposing political parties, but Oliver Cromwell is probably actually the best example of that on, uh, in English history, um, at least recently. Um, but I think that China kind of has been our modern representation of political party getting what it wants and using that supremacy to enact a cultural and political tyranny upon its people and upon the rest of the world. So I think that it's important that the American, that the Americans, as well as our allies across, um, the, the, the globe stay strong in opposing China strong arming because, if we just cripple and fall under, then China will that it empowers China's delusional political mindset, which then empowers them to further uh, abuse uh, basic human rights for people who don't fit within their cultural and political uh, preferred ideology, um, which is always a bad thing. That is in a society in which you believe 
must be run by the dictates of freedom and security. If you don't, then it really doesn't matter at all. <laughs> so that's our first piece of news, and it's a kind of up, an uplifting piece of news um, to say so. Um, so our next piece of news, the DOJ is suing Texas over um, a redistricting uh, agreement, I suppose, or redistricting map. And I've not talked about the DOJ under Merrick Garland. I think I mentioned him earlier in the year, earlier in the season uh, when he was appointed, and that was about it. Um, so this will help me kind of talk about that for a moment, because I do think that's important to talk about. Um, yeah. So the Justice Department has sued Texas over its new redistricting maps, saying the plans discriminate against minority voters, particularly Latinos, who have fueled the state's population boom. Uh, the Justice Department sued Texas on Monday over its new redistricting map, saying the plans discriminate against minorities vo voters, particularly Latinos, who fear the state's population boom. The lawsuit claims that Republican-controlled state uh, violated uh, part of the Voting Rights Act in drawing a, the new district boundaries for its congressional delegation and state legislator. It's the Biden Justice Department's first legal action challenging a state's map since states began redrawing their maps this year to account for population changes. The lawsuit notes that most of Texas's population growth over the past year, or excuse me, over the past decade, came from black, Latino, and Asian people, but alleges that the new maps scatter these voters across districts, diluting their votes and denying them opportunities to choose their representatives. It also argues the maps uh, pack black and Latino communities into bizarre-shaped districts, a Dallas area one is described as a seahorse-shaped while preserving seats for white Republicans. Quote, this is not the first time that Texas has acted to minimize the voting rights of its minority citizens, Associate Attorney General Vanita Gupta said during a news conference with Attorney General Merrick Garland. Decade after decade, courts have found that Texas has enacted redistricting plans that deliberately dilute the voting strength of Latino and black voters that violate the Voting Rights Act. I completely forgot to turn off my phone. Uh, the litigation comes as Republicans and Democrats jockey for an edge in a once-in-a-decade redistricting process, which has already reached new levels of gerrymandering. The lawsuit also plays out during a challenge to change the legal landscape for, di for redistricting challenges. The U.S. Supreme Court ruled in 2019 that it won't referee partisan gerrymandering dismutes, disputes, maps drawn to benefit a political party. Party. A spokeswoman for Texas Governor Greg Abbott, a Republican, condemned the lawsuit. It's no surprise that the Democrats in Washington are attacking our state's redistricting plans, uh, Renee is said. We are confident that Texas's redistricting plans will be upheld by courts, and our office continues working with the Office of the Attorney General to ensure Texans are represented fairly. Monday's lawsuit filed in the Western District of Texas cites several congressional districts in which Republicans drew tortured lines in, uh, to lower the share of black and Latino voters in their party's congressional districts. So, before I get into this specific issue, I'd like to talk about uh, the uh, Merrick Garland as Attorney General and, and Biden's Department of Justice overall. The Biden administration, in general, is very preachy and superficial, and there's and it's like a lot of, um, uh, well, what's the word? Performative activism within the Biden administration. Tons of performative activism and superfluous like relatability that happens, um, and the Justice Department is sort of like that under Biden. Um, Merrick Garland is 
my opinion of him has uh, been lowered in his recent with some of his recent comments regarding uh, parents that are upset about their school districts and 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 other such things. Um, even though I disagree with those parents, I, I think that the this this um, definition that says suddenly they are terrorists is uh, not only incorrect but incredibly stupid. But um, I think that. Uh, Often, I think a lot of when it comes to legal actions taken by the DOJ, it's a mixed bag, in my opinion, in terms of how I would approve or disapprove of those um, decisions. I think some of them make perfect sense, some of them I question, and then some of them are clearly just based in this delusional um, um, performative activism sort of scheme, you know. However, um, I... Well, when it comes to this issue, I also have not seen these maps, and I and I, I don't really know all the information in terms of how these types of things pan out. So I'm taking a lot of this at like for its word. And um, the thing is, what I notice is that when it comes to elections and stuff like that, and how Republicans and and Democrats treat each other as voters, especially when it comes to minority voters, um, uh, sometimes. I, I'm not one to immediately jump and play the race card, not because I'm like worried about it, but because sometimes that just isn't the case because, well, of course it would be ridiculous for me to say that, that, um, minorities are always going to be Democrats and, and white people are always going to be Republicans. I think that, um, often the, well, statistically speaking, that is usually the case. And so this, while I definitely can see how these, how redistricting can be um, like a form of gerrymandering to benefit the party, um, I don't know if it's directly targeted like people are rubbing their hands saying, I can't wait to keep Latinos from being able to vote this year. And I see it as, I can't wait to keep Democrats from being able to vote. And it just so happens that in your, in your state, Democrats tend to be Latinos or black people. And so I think that's important to consider. Now, of course... You could argue that, well, it's sort of the same thing by arguing that you're trying to suppress minority votes, but I think that sets a bad image. Um, either way, it's a bad image to just make the world about political parties. It's the absolute worst. Like I said, China proves that political parties are the worst. Nazi Germany proved that political parties are the worst. Uh, you know, political parties are just awful. Um, and, but this also makes me want to talk about, uh, like, um, when it comes to redistricting and gerrymandering, I'm 100% in support of, of redistricting and other such things being something that, um, being something that a nonpartisan third party is involved with and not the, a partisan officers involved to do. Because, I mean, sorry, but history proves that you likely are going to try and just do something that'll make you have more power next year. All of human history involving politics and, and parties and other such ideological groups, I feel like at this point, pretty much has proven that parties want power and that's all they want. Because they want to live in a world that is a reflection of their beliefs and their beliefs only. Because I feel like party politics, partisan politics is something that I believe is highly defined by a belief in self-supremacy. Self-supremacy. <laughs> In that when you, and, it, and maybe it's a human nature thing, but when you choose to believe something and it makes you feel good and it makes you feel in a sort of like positive way, you're going to have a hard time accepting any form of reality or any sort of solution 
that isn't just a reflection of your previously, um, I suppose, asserted beliefs. And so I think when it comes to issues like uh, gerrymandering and other such things like that, it's quite obvious that the that that Republicans and Democrats are going to view it from that lens because I feel like there's enough theory there to to sort of um, assert a belief that political parties are there for political parties. Now, there's always this sense of bipartisanship and I have to respect you, but I feel like that's getting rarer and rarer as the years go by. And from a perspective of someone who absolutely despises contemporary politics, I feel like there's something to say about in terms of the legitimate power like now like this isn't just about talking about political discourse and like this sort of philosophical aura of how we speak to each other and how we discuss politics this is about the legitimate power of an ideology which i think needs to be seriously considered i think if we aren't careful one party will eventually win over and we will become a one-party state like China or Nazi Germany. And the thing is, and I know I, I keep talking about Nazi Germany, I feel like Nazi Germany was one of the greatest examples in the 20th century, or yeah, in the 20th century, of a political party getting what it wants. It believes in a certain set of values and it says, you know what, these values are the right ones and all the other ones are wrong or stupid or whatever thing I can come up with to convince myself that nobody else is right. And they become violent when they ascertain enough power in government because they don't want to see people live by a set of cultural or political values that they don't approve of. And so I think that given that theory... It's important to restrict the power of a political party to control a government and not just recommend ideas and policies in government. Because when a party controls government, I feel history has dictated it so that that party will become despotic in nature. And so when it, when it comes to stuff like redistricting or ranked choice voting, theories like that being proposed in America, I think it's important that we take those into serious consideration, much more than we take consideration on how we discuss politics, though we should uh, take careful consideration into that as well. I think we need to more seriously and I think more immediately um, uh, uh, assess the legitimate ways in which a political party gets and preserves its power in American government, such as redistricting and gerrymandering. I think it's important that we make stuff like that illegal. So it's harder for any one party to try and redraw the districts to make only themselves more powerful because that puts us on a one-way track towards a one-party state. And a one-party state, I think history has dictated long enough, is going to be tyrannical. Now, it may not be tyrannical, it may not seem tyrannical from your perspective at this point in time, but you know what? That's that's also what people thought about Nazi Germany. That's also what people thought about the Chinese Communist Party during the Chinese Civil War. They weren't looking at that thinking, oh, this is going to become a one-party state that's going to... You know, people were enforce its values on us without any any of our say. They were just saying, this is a new opportunity to preserve what I believe our country stands for. Well, that's what Democrats and Republicans think. What people forget about some of the worst dictatorships in the world, especially when it comes to the dictatorship of a party rather than a person, is that they come to that place not because they are especially evil or that there's some special quality to the Nazis or to the Chinese Communist Party or, or, or to the, any of these other 
uh, I suppose, fascist groups that have come into power, fascist or authoritarian groups that have come into power to force their ideology onto their nation, there wasn't some special quality that made them that way and got them there. It was just the fact that they were a political party that was smart and got what it wanted. If you take those things and put them together, you're creating a perfect storm for tyranny, in my opinion. And I think it's important that when we talk about the legitimate, um, I suppose, legal and political uh, systems in which empower a party or an ideology, we as Americans, I think, should restrict the power of parties to, to make themselves more of an overbearing presence on government. Because when a party or an ideology becomes an overbearing, an overbearing presence on government, it will eventually collapse right on top of that government, right up, I suppose, even uh, uh, in, in place of that government, enforcing a cultural and political utopia, which will ultimately in in all reality, be a form of tyranny. And so I think when it comes to gerrymandering and all these other such things, we should um, take that into, into serious consideration. And I think we should all support um, nonpartisan redistricting because then I feel it, it helps barely, but it helps uh, uh, level the playing ground for all people, not just for the two parties that have decided they are in charge now. Um. So yeah, I I'm not going to be one to jump and say that this specific issue means that that you know Greg Abbott and the Republicans are saying I can't wait to keep uh, black and and Latino voters from being able to have any say in government. But I I'm also not going to say that this move is entirely great and justified and Merrick Garland is just an evil dictator who wants to destroy freedom because I think both of those beliefs are incredibly um dogmatic and just not true. And I think they're also just completely unrational, or unrational, and um, or I suppose the word is irrational. Um, and and uh, people should be careful with how they approach the situation because I know Merrick Garland has made himself unpopular among Republicans and 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 more right uh, wing uh, um, uh, political figures. But I think that um, to say that this is all just a like some sort of ploy to keep power from you is just a, an excuse you're making up to enforce your own political despotism, which is just as important to prevent as it is the political despotism of, uh, of another party. Our next piece of news, so this also, this is the second CNN anchor who's gotten themselves involved with something they should not have gotten themselves involved with. Now, I don't remember if I talked about this or not, but um, Chris Cuomo did in fact end up getting fired. Um, uh just a couple days ago, sometime this week. And um, so they did take the course of action I thought was the most um, appropriate, CNN did. But I'm interested to see how they're going to treat uh, how uh, this one. Uh, it's Don Lemon. Um, uh, Don Lemon has been tied to Jesse Smollett's court testimony and his, um, his case in general, which, by the way, Jesse Smollett was... Uh, uh, um, uh, found guilty of five of six of the charges pressed against him um, because he was lying. There was a fake attack he was making up to try and make uh, Trump and conservatives look bad um, because he's a privileged liberal actor who thinks that 
uh, his ideology is superior and that he should do everything and anything in his power, which he does have a lot of power, um, to defame them in an inappropriate manner. So that's what I have to say about that case. Um, but I don't want to talk about the whole case. It's not that interesting besides that. But what's interesting to me is that another CNN anchor has gotten themselves tied up with a case that they really shouldn't be involved in. Let me read this to you. So Don Lemon is facing scrutiny after Jesse Smollett testified that the CNN anchor sent him a text message to warn him that the police didn't believe his allegations about being the victim of a racist and homophobic attack. The former Empire star Smollett Spent trial amid accusations, he orchestrated his own attack on the streets of Chicago back in 2019, during which he alleged that two men poured bleach on him and tied his noose, a noose around his neck. In a Chicago courtroom on Monday, the actor testified that Lemon contacted him to relay the message that the Chicago Police Department did not believe his account of what had happened on the night in question. <laughs> While Lemon has yet to address this particular part of Smollett's testimony on air, the development has sparked outrage among a number of conservative commentators who have called on CNN to dismiss the newsman over the allegations. Um, Alt-right activist Jack um, uh, Posobiec pulled up a tweet from February 2019 in which stated Lemon... Or, yes, excuse me. Which stated that Lemon had been texting Smollett every day since the alleged attack, as he added, Today we found that Don Lemon was helping Jesse obstruct justice. More activism by quote-unquote anchor at CNN, wrote the Hill columnist Joe Concha. The network needs to now address this publicly as well. These texts from Lemon to Smollett came during a high, a, high, an active high-profile investigation, CNN mum thus far. A conservative political commentator and author Nick Adams also chimed in on the matter, tweeting if Don Lemon tipped off Jesse Smollett about police investigating the hate crime hoax, CNN should fire him immediately. After Jesse Smollett's testimony that Don Lemon tipped him off to the Chicago PD not believing his story, you should uh, be next to the next. You should he should be next to get tanked from CNN, wrote comedian and author Tim Young. Um, uh, Nicholas. Uh, Fondacaro, deputy managing editor of the Media Research Center of Nonprofit Conservative Watchdog, shared a video clip from Lemon's CNN show, which aired hours after the testimony. At 10 to midnight, at Don Lemon and at Oscar uh, uh, Jimenez finally discussed the Jesse Smollett trial, wrote uh, Fondacandro, but neither journalist mentioned how Smollett testified under oath that Lemon tipped him off to police skepticism of his hoax claims. The whole segment lasted five minutes and seven seconds. So, this... It talks about something, or this speaks to a message that I'd like to talk about for a moment, about um, sort of privileged, wealthy, liberal speakers. Now, I'm not one to to play into liberal versus conservative cultural and political disagreements. As I just stated earlier, I'm quite the opponent of contemporary politics altogether. I think it's all just a massive waste of time to even have to follow this nonsense from that type of level. But it helps us as a species, I suppose, narrativize uh, the, the storyline, if you will, of politics so that we can fit it into a specific agenda that we wish to fit it into. So... I'll give it leeway because it makes sense because of uh, evolutionary biology and, and human psychology, but I'm not going to say I like it. I think it's terrible. However, to speak into it for a moment, there's often, I feel, with certain high-profile, privileged liberal speakers and, and journalists and actors and other such things, this belief that they can just sort of do what they want to promote their ideological prowess and end it there. Now, the thing is, this happens among average people all the time. 
The difference is these are people with money and fame and, 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 and attention around them that can use that attention to promote their ideological agenda. Now, I, if you're someone who's rich and you've got money and, and fame and you want to tell people to, hey, I think you should believe this, go ahead. That's, I mean, you have the free, you, you should have the freedom and security to, to believe that you should do that. But to fake hate crime hoaxes, or, or to fake hoaxes, I mean, or no, that's a double negative, Noah. To fake a hate crime, to, uh, I suppose, um, demoralize support around a certain individual or political um, affiliation, or to be someone who is supposed to be, especially in a journalist perspective, you know, reporting the facts of the case, to be tipping people off during the investigation that people don't believe you and that these other such things so that they can help build, try and build a case for themselves against people uh, who um, I suppose aren't supporting them is incredibly irresponsible, first of all, but also speaks to a message of, in certain circles, a sort of, um, I suppose, liberal privilege. And I hate, I don't want to use that term, because that's a term conservatives use, because if you're from a conservative uh, pathology, you probably believe that liberals have all the privilege in the world right now, uh, and probably have since the dawn of time. But I don't believe that so much. But there is, there are certain circles of high-profile uh, uh, I suppose public characters who sort of use their power and use their money and use their influence as a means to promote their ideological prowess to, to, to make it appear as if their ideology is in charge and in this specific case to protect this act this well quite literally actor who who is trying to use a, f a hate crime a fake hate crime to to defame an ideology you disapprove of. It's all around incredibly irresponsible and I think needs to be addressed more directly by liberals, not by conservatives, because conservatives are going to do it nonetheless, but by people who agree with Jesse Smollett and Don Lemon, by people who tweeted their heartfelt condolences about the hates uh, in this world against certain people for their sexuality and for their race, when in reality it was a political attempt to make it appear as if it was just another uh, incident of of Trump's America in which place some um, uh, people attack you for who you are and who you love. And it creates this bad aura of, of hypocrisy, ultimately, which, which conservatives have been rightfully calling many high-profile liberal... Uh, 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 I don't want to say actors because I don't mean literally actors, but um, uh, figures uh, calling them out for. Uh, but I think that I think that that should be rightfully done and I think that that should be a constant hell and that's the joy of living in a country where people disagree all the time because when one side does something that is wrong the other side you know and it's and you know there's evidence that they're wrong and it's not that just one side hates the other side when one side or one group of people does something that is certifiably wrong like there's evidence against them and everything you always know that in a country where people have the freedom and security to disagree with each other, that the other side is going to call out that side for ignoring the fact that they were wrong and not owning up to that. I mean, that's a basic part of being an, a, a, a uh, not integrity. Uh, no, yeah, integrity. That's a basic part of, of being an adult with introspection and integrity is saying, you know what? We were wrong. We fell into sort of our own trap by believing something that facts have proven are incorrect 
in, in a legal sense. And we should apologize for that. As for Don Lemon specifically, Don Lemon should have never messed with this. He should have left it as it is. He is a journalist. It's his job to report the news, to tell people the facts, maybe to throw his opinion in. You can, I'm not so much worried about people telling you their opinion in the news, which I know is like, oh, why? But the, that, that's the whole reason the media is tearing this country apart. Yeah, I agree. But also, if you're not as dumb as a rock, you can just cipher through the opinions of the news and get all the facts you need from multiple news sources. It's called being an avid researcher. It's basic. It's like research 101 for average people. If you want to do real in-depth research, you got to find an academic. Then that's a good place to get kind of, a, I guess, a first-person research. But that's besides the point. The point is, if you're in a journalist perspective or in a journalist position... <laughs> You have the responsibility to to not interfere in these cases that you are reporting on. It creates not just a bad image. It also could have legitimately helped Smollett uh, plan ahead. Now, of course, the evidence was way against him. I think this trial was always going to be against him. Um, that was, I think, certain. But I think that it gave him the edge of just knowing. Because like they say... Knowledge is power. I mean, that's I mean, that's just true. Whether or not you like it, knowledge is is um, power. And so for Smollett to now have this forewarning that, oh, the police don't believe you, he can start trying building up a case before he um, before he. Sorry, I like lost track of my thought before he uh, even stands trial. And so I think that it's important that in a society like this... Now, the same thing goes for Republicans. Just because I'm dogging on liberals doesn't mean this thing... Or Republicans, conservatives. Um, the same thing applies for conservatives. I mean, and again, that's the joy of living in a country where people have the freedom and security to exist. That's why we should be against either party ever truly controlling the government. That's why we should be against one party having more power than the other. We should want it to be incredibly diversified with a few Republicans, a few Democrats, maybe a Libertarian or two, throw in an Independent, throw in a Green Party member. It should be that diverse because each group will know to support what they want for themselves, to call each other out when they're wrong. Now, of course, there's going to be complications. Of course, people are going to be delusional and trying to uphold their ideology supremacy. But I think if we were to truly be like a more, I suppose, enlightened species, if we were to be more... I suppose, intellectual about it, it wouldn't be that bad and we'd be able to hold each other accountable, which at least in this two-party system we have, in which these two have have decided that it's only them now and forever, at least they can hold each other accountable, which is better than one suppressing the other, which um, I think is the uh, sort of state, is the alternative state we could have been in, which I'm, I'm glad we're not. Um, so I think that's important to note that it's good that we're able to call each other out and that we should be, and we should own up to when we're wrong. Because when you're wrong, you're wrong. That's just the end of it. When you're wrong, you're wrong. And that's that's the end of the story. And you've got to come to terms with that and admit that to people. Otherwise, you don't just create a bad image. You quite literally uh, uh, serve a threat to um, not just your integrity, but the integrity of your system. People stop believing in you. <coughs> Uh, so, hey, just a quick reminder, make sure to follow my Instagram, that's at Huey Noah, that's at H-U-G-H-U-Y-N-O-A-H, that's at Huey Noah, and make sure to subscribe to Under the Stars on YouTube to see exclusive clips, as well as the full episode of the show on there. That may be changing, though, soon. I have the ability to post them on Snap, or, 
on Snapchat. I have the ability to post them on Spotify. There's a good chance the full video will, starting season five, only be available on Spotify. If that be the case, I think I'll just leave everything up to season four on there. But exclusive clips from all my favorite takes will still always be on the YouTube channel, as well as the new stuff that's going to be coming in season five. Um... So make sure to subscribe to Under the Stars on YouTube. Also, follow it on Spotify and Google Podcasts and all those other places so you never miss an episode. If you'd want to support the show, you can do that through my merch and my books in the shop section of my website. That's just Under the Stars Podcast. You search it up on, or Under the Stars with Noah Huey, search it up on Google, or it's also on the bio of my Instagram. Uh, Again, that's the shop section where my merch and my books are. I have a limited edition line of uh, three-year anniversary merch that's celebrating three years of Under the Stars with Noah Huey, available now. And uh, also to celebrate three years of Under the Stars, if you use promo code three years UTS, that's the number three, Y-E-A-R-S-U-T-S, at checkout, you will get a 10% discount off of any purchase you make. This promo code and the anniversary line are only going to be available until December 31st, so use it if that's what you're interested in, or if you'd like to support the show, it's greatly appreciated. So, last week, Mark Meadows agreed to cooperate with the January 6th committee, turning in some uh, documents, and we thought was going to agree uh, to sit down and talk with them. However, he's recently reversed course and now plans on suing the committee, uh, which I think is going to speak to something larger than just a uh, a sudden decision to change his mind. Am I reading the right article? These are not... Uh, okay, I have no idea what this... Oh, I, I suppose... Here it is. Mm, committee from the, the discuss appointing alternative electors as part... Okay, so this is talking about the alternate electors plan where Mark Meadows said he loved it. That's not what I'm interested in talking about. Um... Okay. Meadows told Fox... Well, let me read what this... Because this starts with the talk about from January 6th where Mark Meadows said he loved the plan of appointing alternate electors that would elect Donald Trump to the presidency. Um, Mark Meadows and his team are upset that the um, January 6th committee is calling for um, uh, those documents and other such things to be handed over them. Um... Uh, they're saying they're arguing over whether or not it's subject to a claim of privilege, which most courts have argued it's not. Um, uh, but neither you nor Mr. Meadows has meaningfully provided that information about executive privilege. Thompson also refuted a claim by uh, um, uh, George uh, J. Uh, Terwillinger, Meadows' attorney, um, that he had pleaded the Fifth Amendment uh, right uh, to, as not to self. To not self-incriminate is tantamount of an admission of guilt. Uh, That is not an accurate characterization of my position on the Fifth Amendment, nor is that an interpretation of my comments consistent with our discussions about the purpose of tomorrow's deposition, i.e. a proceeding in which your client can assert privileged claims with the sufficient particularly for further consideration, Thompson wrote in response. Meadows told Fox News host Sean Hannity on Tuesday evening that he intends to honor the former president's dubious claim of executive privilege 
to prevent documents and testimony from going to the committee. In his letter to the former chief of staff, Thompson suggested that Meadows' media interviews and recent release of his memoir from his time in the White House undermine his privilege argument that underscore his non-compliance with the investigation. This occurs at the time, same time Mr. Meadows has published a book in which he discusses the January 6th attack, Thompson wrote, that he would sell his telling of the facts of that day while denying a congressional committee the opportunity to ask him about the attack on our Capitol marks a historic and aggressive defiance of Congress. Trump ally Steve Bannon has also tried to claim executive privilege and refused to cooperate, so the committee referred him to the Justice Department, recommending him he be charged with contempt of Congress. He was indicted on November 12th. Bannon's trial is set for July 18th. At this point, hopefully the courts can work it out, Meadows said on Fox News uh, in his own, on his own situation. So, I don't know what it was that suddenly moved Meadows to um, say he was going to agree last week, but now he's changed his mind. And of course, it's along the tune of President Trump's I have executive privilege, even though I basically every court that he's run across, including President Biden, have said, no, you don't. It, I have to agree with Chairman Thompson that trying to plead the fifth and, and keep information private is tantamount of an omission of guilt. Um, and I think that that's kind of been what I've been saying from the beginning, though I have to be clear, uh, clear there have been times where President Trump and his allies have kept themselves quiet over something that makes them look bad just because it makes them look bad. So it could go either way. But I think in this situation, given all the information that's going on, if not Trump, most certainly his allies are, are guilty of something, especially when you've got information that says... Meadows handed another email from January 5th that contained a, contained a 38-page PowerPoint briefing called Election Fraud, Foreign Interference, and Options for January 6th that was to go to people on the Hill. Um, uh, and another email discussing having the National Guard on standby. I don't really want to talk about, like, the, the I suppose, meaning of Trump or whatever. Like, I've already discussed enough times that Trump has this sort of internal belief that he was the best president ever. Everyone in his cabinet believes that. And they were all trying to find a way to keep him in power because they care more about ideological and Trump's personal supremacy than they will ever care about the security of democracy or the freedom of security of the people to vote for someone else, which they just can't get their heads wrapped their heads around. Because when you're a partisan, a delusional partisan, not just a regular one, but a fully delusional partisan, who believes only in the supremacy of your ideology and its figureheads, which is worse than just the ideology when you think there's one figurehead that has to um, uh, be in charge. When you're that much of a delusional partisan, it, you're going to try and come up with whatever you can to believe that what you want to think isn't true, or what you want to think is the only thing that can be true. Um, I think that... I think that, and I want to write an article about this, I think that there's a new trend in politics where we can just say that everyone who disagrees with us is delusional or evil and that there's always a conspiracy. I think conspiracy theories are becoming, excuse me while I fix my jacket, are becoming the go-to uh, 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 defense of delusional partisans who don't want to accept reality as it does not reaffirm their ideological supremacy. That's the state, I think, of political ideologies. At this point in history, I think they've gotten to a point where they're starting to get people to believe 
anything so long as it doesn't mean they don't win, they don't get what they want, and they don't have total power over government and the culture of their society. It's a destructive, corrupted belief system that will ultimately, I think, completely collapse the United States of America if we are not careful in keeping people like this from staying in power, which is why I would not vote for Trump if he were to run again. And it's why I think he was trying, or his team, I should say, was trying to keep him in power because what they care more about is enforcing their ideological utopia than they will ever care about the freedom and security of all the people because they have synonymized their ideological utopia with the freedom and security of the people. That's a, an integral part of the delusion of ideological supremacy is you synonymize freedom and security and, and all of those kind of things that we believe in in America and in all the sort of first world free nations of the world uh, you synonymize those kinds of values with your beliefs. When you synonymize freedom and security with your beliefs solely, you create the foundation of a delusional political ideology that will ultimately corrupt your government, its people, its culture, and will inevitably cause that country to collapse. And it's a huge part of, I think, Trump's defiance of the January 6th committee and his orders to keep people like Mark Meadows from handing over any information that may incriminate him. Because he needs to be the glorious leader of America. He needs to be in history books as the hero who saved us all 200 years from now. Because Donald Trump is a superficial man who believes in nothing but power and image. And I think the people around him have become part of that little inner circle because they want that same kind of prowess. They want to say they defended the man, the savior of America. And so people like Mark Meadows, who have always sort of been like that when they were under him, have, have been a part of that image. And I think this sudden reversal of his decision to cooperate with the January 6th committee is him sort of realizing what he's doing and deciding to put his integrity aside and kind of lose his backbone and become just another underling for this president, for this former president who just wants to be glorified till the end of time. And I think it's a very bad thing to support. It's a very bad thing to uphold. And if we're not careful, it will be very bad news in the future for um, for uh, American democracy. Speaking of ideological supremacy, just recently, Matt Gates and Steve Bannon... No, this is not the link I wanted to use. Why is there a link to a website that has nothing to do... Uh, sorry, I'm like trying to find a new link now. Okay, we'll just do this one. So Steve Bannon and Matt Gates sort of had some time on Bannon's podcast just kind of fetishizing their ideological supremacy of conservatives and kind of making some very dangerous statements about American government. Representative Matt Gates of Florida and the former White House advisor Steve Bannon floated an idea that a quote-unquote army of patriots and quote-unquote shock troops should be prepared to take over the government if former President Donald Trump were to run and win in 2024. Trump has not yet publicly announced his running. Quote, people don't like that Donald Trump raised his voice, but sometimes you got to raise your voice and raise a ruckus and raise an army of patriots who love this country 
and we'll fight for her, Gates said. Quote, we're going to operationalize the performance to go right after the people who are imposing the vaccine mandates, who are enriching themselves, who are selling out the country, Gates added. Bannon then went on to suggest that, or to it nodding Gates, that there should be a theory of governing before elaborating on what his plan would be if Trump were to be president again. Quote, it's fresh and it's new. This is Trumpism in power. That's when we, w when we went to the 4,000 shock troops we have we have to have that's going to man the government. Get them ready now, right? Bannon said. Quote, we're going to hit the beach with the landing teams and the beat and the beachhead teams and all the nomenclature that they use when President Trump wins in 2024 or before. Bannon went to suggest that these 4,000 shock troops would then become political appointees. On Capitol Hill, you're going to have Gates and others, Bannon said. No more powder puff derby. This is going to be hardcore accountability at every committee. And we're going to do... Quote, and we're going to go after this administrative state, and we're going to start the Department of Justice and the FBI. That's the job I want. You know, send me over the judiciary to the Judiciary Committee, and their, and their sphincters will tighten because they have been doing a lot of corrupt things over there, Gates said in response to Bannon's suggestions. It's unclear what Gates and Bannon meant, specifically with references of an army of patriots and shock troops. Gates responded to insiders' request for comment with a tweet implying his remarks were a metaphor and claiming the reporter was being a, a tad literal about its comments. The problem is with this type of thing is, how, I mean, what else could that mean? When you Now, of course, if you're talking about, oh, army of patriots, the thing is now January 6th has proven that when you say an army of patriots, you could be very well talking about a literal army of people with guns and knives and all kinds of things to hit and abuse people with who disagree with their politics. This is what I'm talking about when I say political ideologies, when they don't get what they want long enough. And when they're so close to getting what they want in government, this is what I'm talking about when I say that they're willing to start fantasizing about the political suppression, whether it be violent or not, of ideological dissidents. And like I said, you can write off anything that criticizes your ideology's power as corruption or, oh, they're just, excuse me, as I hit my microphone, or, oh, they're just dumber than me or, oh, they're just delusional. You know, and that's why I've got to be careful when I say delusion of political ideology, because um, I want to make sure I'm being fair here. But that's what I mean when I say these types of things is people, you can write off things you don't like and things that don't affirm your ideology supremacy is, oh, you're just corrupt. And when you start getting to this point where you're fetishizing almost the political supremacy of your ideology and overtaking government with your ideology, it's all about the synonymization of freedom and security with your beliefs. That's what Gates and Bannon are doing here. They don't see how this could possibly be interpreted as tyrannical in any sense because they don't think it is. They think they are the patriots, they are the colonists, and the Democrats or basically anyone who doesn't agree with them is King George III because they're synonymizing our country's beliefs in freedom and security with their political power. When you do that, as many radical members of both parties have done, they are willing to begin fantasizing and, as January 6th has proven, out, proven act out upon those, fant those uh, fantasies of ideological supremacy, need it be, through violence. And so these kinds of comments need not only to be uh, incredibly scrutinized, People like Gates and Bannon need to be careful about what they say about American democracy and how they think it should work. And this supposed idea that suddenly freedom and security is synonymous only with their ideology and that the only way to take it back is by force. When you believe the only way in order to promote the freedom and security of people is through the force of your ideology and your ideology's supremacy in government, you can't just write off people who disagree with you as corrupt 
and I keep viewing this when I say write off. You can't just write pe off people who disagree with you as corrupt and say that's the end of it. There's clearly a more nuanced way to come about it, and you just aren't willing to do that. Now, you may call people who aren't radically insane and want to force an ideology on people spineless, but as far as I'm concerned, the only people who are spineless are the ones who believe that only one ideology will solve America's problems. And I think we need to be incredibly scrutinized uh, we need to scrutinize incredibly Gates and Bannon's comments here in a manner that tells them that we will not tolerate this kind of comment in political discourse in America, in America because uh, that discourse, especially comments like these, as January 6th have proven, can become a reality. Our final piece of news today, which is slightly more uplifting, is U.S. senators are announcing a bipartisan social media data transparency bill. So... I lost my spot. So three U.S. senators, two Democrats and a Republican, announced on Thursday a bill to require social media companies like Facebook, now known as Meta Platforms Incorporated, to give certain researchers access to its data. Senators Chris Coons and Amy Klobuchar, both Democrats, announced the bill along with Rob Portman, a Republican. It would require the companies to release internal data and assist independent researchers whose projects have been vetted by the National Science Foundation, an independent federal agency. Researchers, quote, researchers would then be able to examine the data and release findings on the platforms as impact to the public, the lawmakers official or offices said in a joint statement. Through the process, users' privacy would be protected. Companies that fail to turn over wanted data could face enforcement from the Federal Trade Commission and lose their immunity under Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act. That provision says that the platforms cannot be held responsible for posting put up by users or other third parties. There is currently no House Representative's companion to the proposed bill. Photo sharing app Instagram, a subsidiary of Meta, has come under particular scrutiny for the potential impact of its certain services on the mental health and online safety of young users. Instagram responds to the concerns by suspending plans for its children's versions of the app. It also tightened some rules just this week. I think this is a great idea. And I think this is based off of, there was a recent um, study, I think, done or was it a study? No, there was a recent call by scientists in America that are saying that these companies should be releasing their data publicly to scientists so that those scientists can, one, be more accurate with the results, and two, be able to provide those results back to the, the people as quickly as possible, and more importantly, to con uh, congressional officials as, as soon as possible. I think this bill may actually make that easier, and I've yet to, I don't know if the text is even available at this point in time, or if there even is a text available at this point in time, but should that end up being the case, I certainly would love to read exactly what his provisions are because I think this this theory is fantastic. I think social media companies need to be held, uh, um, I suppose, in tandem, or not in tandem, but uh, they need to be held responsible for the types of uh, things they're doing. And I think that the requirement for these companies to share the data they have with researchers makes the researcher's job much more easier to try and acquire that data than it would be if they would have to try and get it on their own and get it through a company that may not be as willing to share it if that data isn't so good. Now, Facebook and Instagram and, and uh, I think Snapchat have been a little more open with what they share, even if it's negative, but who knows how long that will last. And given that there aren't really that many protections to keep that from being... Um, I guess, kept from them, it's, I think, important to, um, I think, force them to be held accountable by not just their scientific uh, counterparts trying to uh, piece together the data so that they can create a um, conclusive solution, uh, or not a conclusive solution, but a conclusive uh, uh, finalization uh, of those results, but also so that 
those uh, scientific reports can then be quickly given to the public so that we may then best know how to form solutions to those kinds of issues, which I think is incredibly imperative in our day and age. Because social media, as nice as it is and as wonderful of a tool as it can be, is incredibly harmful not just to mental health but to political discourse, to uh, social interaction. It's a massive net negative, I think, right now that needs to be, and I won't, I won't call it a net negative, but it's a massive negative in many aspects um, that I think if addressed properly, and I think this bill could do the, do the job, um, would, um, I think, be a net positive to society. So whenever the text comes out, I certainly will be the first to read it. No, I won't. But I will be one of the first to try and access it when it's available on, the con on Congress's website. Um, because I'm very interested to see what exactly they're looking for. But I think this proposed plan is great. I think it's great that a Republican is support for it. And I think, I think this is something that if once written in, in actual bill form, I think both parties will be um, pretty eager to support this, which I'm looking forward to because I think it'd be a great provision uh, in, in, the, in the ongoing uh, quest to um, hold social media companies accountable for what, it, what exactly they are... Um, what exactly they're doing. So I, uh, I, um, I, oh, what's the word? I support all the uh, senators that are, are spearheading this. And I hope that this sees more support from both parties, um, as well as from the general public. I think it'll do well. Um, so yeah, that's the end of that. Thanks so much for listening in this week. It's been great talking with you. Uh, it's been a great conversation we've been having. Um, if you'd like to support, or no, excuse me, you can follow my Instagram at Huey Noah. That's at H-U-G-H-U-Y-N-O-A-H. That's at Huey Noah to subscribe, or excuse me, um, <laughs> to subscribe. No, but you should also subscribe to Under the Stars on YouTube uh, for exclusive clips and potentially a couple more full episodes, though, though those may be going up on Spotify, which also reminds me, follow the follow Under the Stars with Noah Huey on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts or uh, I think there's a website called Radio Public. If you've got any of those uh, uh, podcast listening apps or wherever you get your podcasts, make sure to follow Under the Stars there so you never miss an episode. Also support the show through my merch and my books in the shop section of my website. It'd be greatly appreciated. I have a limited edition line of three-year anniversary merch that's available right now. Uh, that uh, And to celebrate three years of Under the Stars, if you use promo code three years use UTS, that's at or that's three years. No, <laughs> that's the number three Y E A R S U T S at checkout. You can get a 10% discount off of any purchase you make this and this promo code and the anniversary line are only going to be available until December uh, 31st. So use it well, use it if you'd like to support the show and use it if you'd just like to get the three year line uh, of merch, that'd be greatly appreciated. Thanks so much for listening in and I'll see you next week. Bye-bye.